Welcome to Rewind Design, a podcast dedicated to discovering the stories of Cottage Country in Ontario. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you're a new listener, my name is Katie McNabb and I'm a local interior designer who is on a mission to find stories of how the heck everyone and everything ended up here in cottage country. Every two weeks, I speak to a new guest about their journey to cottage living. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at rewinddesign.interiors or you can send me an email to katie at rewinddesign.ca to share your own story or become a part of my email list. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rewind Design, a cottage history podcast. And incredibly enough, this is the first episode featuring a Muskoka cottager. So if you know me, by the way, my name's Katie. If you know me at all, you will know that I am a Georgian Bay girl. I grew up in Perry Sound and I've spent almost all my summers on Georgian Bay. So... Now, I actually work in Port Carling as an interior designer, and I am meeting a lot of Muskokans. Is that what you call them, Muskokans? I think so. So, I'm really excited about this episode. I have an incredible woman sharing her incredible story with her daughter as well. So, just to kind of explain here, I met Bonnie very serendipitously through another colleague who... Basically, I told them I loved cottage history and design, and she was like, you have to talk to my friend Bonnie Bean. She has been cottaging her entire life on Lake Muskoka. She is up there every weekend in the summer, and she has an incredible story to tell about her family's history, and she was not wrong. Bonnie is incredible and has an awesome story that I will be sharing with you in just a moment. The following podcast episode will be a mix of narration and snippets from my conversation with Bonnie and Mary when I went to visit them at their cottage. Welcome to the first ever Rewind Design episode featuring a Muskoka cottager. I had the utmost pleasure of sitting down and speaking with a wonderful woman named Bonnie Bean and her daughter in their generational family cottage on Lake Muskoka. Bonnie was so open to speaking about her family's past, their journey to Muskoka, and the initial challenges of owning a cottage in the early 1900s. Bonnie has been coming up to Muskoka from Toronto with her family for 82 years, ever since she was born. Her family has owned a piece of property just four miles north of Bala on Lake Muskoka for over 100 years. The property has since gone through some changes, as is bound to happen over a hundred years, yet Bonnie is still cottaging as strong as ever. The original lot was purchased by her grandfather in 1915, and was a rough and rocky property to develop. It took two years to build the cottage with no access to electricity and rough landscape conditions. Bonnie's grandmother would bring all six children, luggage and tow, up to the cottage in late June, and they would stay until Labor Day weekend. The drive was very long on dirt roads, before Highway 400 is what it is today. With cranking cars, no gas stations, and many flat tires, it was a long and grueling trip, often taking multiple days. 
Bonnie's grandparents initially thought that keeping the kids out of the city would help with their overall health, as polio outbreaks were starting to emerge in cities at that time. And I still believe this to be true. History definitely repeats itself, and in 2020, when COVID first hit, there was a huge rush of people clambering to be up north and away from the hustle and the bustle of all the cities. My grandfather so bought this property to keep the kids out of the city because of polio. Yes, which I find so interesting because I didn't really realize that, that that would have been a main reason. Like it was also to escape, you know, the busyness of the city, but then I never would have thought yeah. that it would have been for sicknesses and diseases. Healthier. To supply the cottage with food, metal vats of lard, flour, and sugar were bought from Eaton's, delivered by steamship to a large wharf just down their road. Bonnie's daughter says that Eaton's was just like Amazon is nowadays. They sold everything and anything and had a monopoly on the area. They sold boats, canoes, appliances, and everything else under the sun. You would choose what you wanted in their large catalog, and it would be delivered to your cottage via steamship. The cottage had a wood stove for cooking, no electricity, and no pumped water. They had to scramble down the rocky terrain to collect pails of water down at the lake. The Aidens delivered it. Probably the steamship brought it up. Uh, delivered to, Gra- to Gravenhurst and yeah. then brought up by steamship, probably. And there were farms up the road. Um, lots of farmers around vegetables, um, which are no longer. They're, they're not farming as much vegetables. So there was lots of good food. And the berries were plentiful. And, uh, so she would have uh, vats of um, metal vats of lard and flour and sugar brought up from Eaton's, mm-hmm. which you'd keep in the back cottage and an ice box the ice was cut out of the lake in april brought up put in the ice box ice house for the ice box uh, to melt and we had a two-seater outhouse i love that because there were (laughs) (laughs) well eight adults at least eight eight people but they always had friends up and i think that my grandmother actually brought up somebody to help uh, a girl to help Okay. Because I don't think she could handle it all. Because she had to stop oh, the stove. Oh, for all the housework and everything. Stop the stove in the morning, with boil the kettle, you know, make the bread, cook everything on the wood stove, um, etc. There was no, no electricity for a long time and no pumped water. They had to go down the lake to... For fresh vegetables, they would travel down the road and visit local farmers with incredible fresh produce. For fruit, the children would carry metal pails around the property to collect blueberries. Something I also enjoy doing today. To keep everything fresh, ice was cut out of the lake in the spring, stored, and brought to the ice box in the cottage. To get around, Bonnie remembers using a five-horsepower wooden outboard boat to travel into town as a child in the early 50s. Later down the line, the original property was divided into six lots for six children, and was awarded to each child by lottery. Three of the children built cottages, three did not. Bonnie's aunt built the cottage that she now owns today when she bought her aunt's cottage in 1974. Bonnie's property is one-sixth of the original lot owned by her grandfather. (laughs) So my husband and I bought it in 1974 from my aunt. Uh, Prior to that, my parents' cottage had been staying in my parents' cottage uh, next door because it's all family property. So we bought the cottage, and my aunt's cottage was built in 51. It was not close enough to the lake for me because it's up higher on the hill. But at the same time, I'm very glad it doesn't flood mm. um, and have all those things. And we get a good view from up here. So yeah, uh, it's on 315 feet of shoreline, part of my uncle's property, former uncle's properties uh, that were purchased uh, over the years. 
um, four-bedroom cottage. My aunt lived here. Cousins grew up. I babysat them and played with them. And then we took it over. It's incredible. So it's, it's gradually our, our philosophy is to keep it as a cottage-like as we can, but to modernize it like with a dishwasher mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah, it's a refuge from the city, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And where you're located, we're currently sitting on her <laughs> um, living room couch with a beautiful wood-burning fireplace in front of us because it's, it's May and it's cold and we've had a beautiful Funny. week, but <laughs> we're sitting inside today because it's a little bit cold. So The cottage Bonnie now vacations to was built in 1951 by a local builder, Burt's Bowesfield from Bala. A builder named Rushhorn built her mother's adjacent cottage. Rushhorn built my mother's cottage. Uh, they just came in with a pencil and paper and sketched out, we'll put a bedroom here, we'll put a bedroom there, we'll... Right. And so, you know, initially there's no running water and then and there's right. houses and so, and then the water, running water goes in, then electricity goes in, and then the, you know, the, the partitions go up so that they closed in your bedroom. Yes. Because it was open partition for so long in the cottages. Oh, right. And, although this one, my aunt, I think, finished it off before, but my, the cottage I grew up in with my parents was a work in progress every year. There was something added. The that, original one. Yeah. No, not the original. The yeah. second, the original one for me for in you. 1948, but not the original cottage. Right. Oh, the original cottage didn't had partitions to it. Bonnie's mom was living independently in the cottage until the old age 95. Prior to her buying from her aunt, she had been staying with her mother in the property next door, built in 1948. Her grandmother's original cottage unfortunately burnt down on Labor Day weekend in 1944. Bonnie describes how her aunt was closing up to go home on Labor Day and had thrown some paper in the wood fire before leaving. It was a very hot and dry weekend, and later that day a neighbor called them to say they were so sorry, but the cottage was up in flames with no sign of stopping. The old cottage burned down on Labor Day weekend, 1944. Do they know what happened? Well, my aunt was uh, putting, closing up to go home, putting paper in the wood fire to burn it up, and because it was two-story with a smokestack going up, this I think it was hot, tinder hot, hot weekend yeah. anyway. And the cottage, they said goodbye to it, drove out the road, and I guess it sparked and started on fire, and they got a call from a neighbor's. Okay, now I'm going to describe the cottage a little bit for you listeners here. You can also take a look at rewinddesign.ca and look for episode number nine for Bonnie on Bannockburn Road to look at photos of her cottage, which are amazing, um, historical photos, as well as recent pictures. The cottage on Bannockburn Road in the Muskoka Lakes District is nestled in the trees, perched on the rocks with an elevated view southeast towards Muskoka Lakes Acton Island. The view across 330 linear feet of frontage provides ample privacy and the feeling of being secluded. The drive down the private road is lined with maple and pine trees, with their canopies enclosing the top of the road as you're going through a tunnel of leaves. The cottage is a four-bedroom, one-story building with the most beautiful and welcoming atmosphere. When I met Bonnie at her cottage for the first time, she welcomed me as if I was family coming to stay for the long weekend. We sat at Bonnie's living room for our interview in front of the wood-burning fire, sipping tea and chatting with her daughter Mary. Enclosing the room are rich pine ceilings and walls, with large windows facing the water. The rain was lightly falling as we chatted, seemingly endlessly, about the rich history of Muskoka. And where you're located, we're currently sitting on her (laughs) 
um, living room couch with a beautiful wood-burning fireplace in front of us because it's it's May and it's cold and we've had a beautiful <laughs> week, but <laughs> we're sitting inside today because it's a little bit cold. So it's a beautiful atmosphere in here. And just to describe a little bit, the interior of the cottage is wood clad it's all walls, pine. All, all pine, pine. All pine. It's yeah. darkened over the years. It's still um, really bright in here, though, because you have the windows, the windows facing the water. We, we put in the big windows. Mm -hmm. uh, they had the, the cottage, as you said before, mostly it was a sleeping. It wasn't a, yeah. it wasn't a view place. Yeah. And now people like views. And so we've been gradually um, opening with sliding doors. And I do find that really interesting that you've said that you bumped out the living rooms to be a bit larger, right? The bedrooms. Two the bedrooms. bedrooms yeah. And added in those larger yes. windows. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. And I've noticed that, too, like in lots of cottages that friends have had over the years that the sleeping quarters were strictly for sleeping and they would just have those little tiny windows little tiny windows just yeah. to I guess have a little bit of light but yeah. it wasn't something that you would like sit there and sip your coffee and nope. look out the view like I don't think that was the, the vibe of the, the bedroom before when my mother built her cottage in 1948 she used barn doors glass window barn doors oh uh sliding doors for her living room and then okay. my aunt copied it here. Oh. And then we added the third one back here. Yeah. It was dark. The dining room was dark. Bonnie's most treasured part of the cottage is a large screened-in porch with a three-sided view where she spends most of her time reading, napping, or sipping on a gin cocktail. Well, by lying on the hammock on the screened porch looking yeah. down the lake yeah. on a hot summer day, yeah. can't think of any place in the world I'd rather be. I know. And that's so Especially funny. if it's a gin and tonic or something. Oh. <laughs> you know, good book or even if there isn't a good book, it's, yeah. it's, it's lovely. Yeah. Just, uh, just sitting there feeling grateful. The cottage is sprinkled with family history, with photos of Bonnie's mother and aunts enjoying the cottage in the early days. She talks passionately about her time spent at the property as a child with cousins. The point was a place of community, aunts, uncles, cousins, where the children were free to roam. Her parents would have cocktail parties with all the family and surrounding neighbors. To dive a little bit deeper into the history of the area, Bonnie spoke a lot about the town of Bala. Bala was settled in 1868 by Thomas Burgess, who developed a sawmill and a general store to serve the local area. The town was not suitable for farming or logging due to the rocky topography, so railway connections helped to establish the town as a tourist location with many summer resorts. Bala became a massive hub where steamship passengers connected through to steamships such as the RMS Seguin, Cherokee, and Islander. Many more steamers sailed across the Muskoka Lakes, transporting passengers to their final cottage destinations. Roads and trains became increasingly more popular, and the steamship connection trickled off a little bit. However, more and more people have been coming up north to experience and enjoy the true wonder and beauty of what is now coined cottage country. Growing up in the 50s, Bonnie would often go to what was called Dunn's Pavilion, what is now known as the Kitabala. Jerry Dunn created this venue where big bands of the era would play every weekend and people would dance the night away. In fact, Bonnie's parents met there on such a summer weekend in 1937. The store sold ice cream, had a soda bar, and lots of knickknacks. Bonnie fondly remembers going to Dunn's on family nights where children were invited to dance with their uncles and aunts, and everyone had a wonderful time dancing. At this time, Bala was a huge hub and would draw large crowds to the festivities. Over the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, this dancing continued, and it was not just for the seasonal cottagers. There was a repetitive vibe where people would plan to attend every weekend, and locals would enjoy these shows too. There was also a booming ski show business in the 70s and 80s, which drew in a huge crowd. Bonnie remembers they would often go 
as often as they could. Burgess's had a large, dry goods store and was the main center for shopping. Well, as a child growing up in the 40s, uh, uh, Dunn's Pavilion, Dunn's Pavilion. which is now the key. Yes. But Jerry Dunn, uh, and I've got some history on him, um, had the big bands up. Mary, do you want to go and get the the photograph from the uh, the big bands up every weekend, so people would go in to dance. Oh, I love that. So, and then there would be a, a nice cream, an ice cream store with moccasins and you know ice cream and soda bar mm. and knickknacks of every kind out in the front. And then on weekends there was a big dance hall, and they would have family nights where children were invited to go to the dance and with the bands and everything and dance with their aunts and uncles and their cousins and so on. That was oh. you know every now and then. And so it was a swinging town in that sense. There was a, a big growth, a little grocery store, and you know, yeah. not a Loblaws, but a grocery store. And then Burgess's had a big uh, um, dry goods store okay. that sold textiles and rubber boots and thread and the things that you might you know need. dry goods, whatever one needs, shovel, you know, pitchforks, you know, whatever. Oh my goodness! <laughs> um, so that was the town. Yeah. And it was a bit busier because that was the center for the shopping, and the you know people didn't drive to Bracebridge, didn't right. drive to they you know this was the local, central yeah. location. So yeah. do you find now it's less busy? Yes, yes, because there's nothing there. I mean, Dunn's yeah. has, Dunn's has closed, and mm-hmm. uh, Burgess has become Dunn's Bakery now, and they're just little restaurants. Yeah. And Fallow was a huge hub. No one would drive to Bracebridge as they do nowadays, and fathers would come up every Friday to meet their kids and wives for the beautiful weekends. The fathers would come up, and we all go into town to pick up the, the fathers from their trains. That's so If we had the amazing. car, if they leave the car up here and then go down by train and come That back. makes sense. They didn't always, but, but it was faster. I wish they by. still had that. that so would do be I. So well, convenient. the train's coming back, the Northlander. They're trying to bring it back, the Ontario government. I would like to greatly thank Bonnie, Mary, and Brian for participating in the first ever Muskoka History podcast and for allowing me into your space and for being so informative and attentive to all of my questions. Thank you, Brian, as well, for submitting some wonderful blue sky photos of the cottage as well, which you can find on rewinddesign.ca and look for episode number nine, Bonnie on Bannockburn Road. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this story, please give me a five star on Spotify. I would really appreciate it. It really helps um, me continue the podcast and keep it going. And if you would like to support this podcast, please follow along to patreon.com slash rewind design. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash rewind design. If you would like to support the show in other ways or share your own story, please send an email to Katie, k-a-t-y at rewind design.ca or give me a call at 416-822-7489. Your donations help to run the podcast and costs associated with recording equipment and travel. 10% of all donations will be donated to the Georgian Bay Land Trust. Thank you so much. Your support means everything.